it's on page 253 of your pew Bible. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leslie. Father God, I pray that we might see in this ancient story relevance for our lives today and that we would see you work in wonderful ways in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of 1 Kings contains so many stories about the prophet Elijah. He's such a wonderful guy to be studying. He's so exciting, the things that he does for God. He's such a powerful man for God. But Elijah was trained all the way through very carefully for God. And of course, the big highlight, I think, of Elijah's life is when he confronts the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel and he challenges them to a duel. He says, come on, you pray to your God and I'll pray to my God and whoever answers, he's God. And the prophets of Baal say, yeah, no problems, we're going to do this one. And they dance and they sing and they carry on and they cut themselves and all sorts of things happen. Nothing happens. They make a big drama about it, nothing happens. But Elijah says, right, my turn. And when it comes to his turn, it's incredible what happens. Because listen to what it says. Fire fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. So what happened was Elijah says, look, this is an unfair showdown. I'm going to make it even harder. 
and they had the sacrifice covered with water and a trench dug around it was filled up with water and when when he prayed god sent down fire that consumed everything including all the water just to show how mighty god was but god had been preparing elijah through a whole series of hopeless and difficult situations and again and again the prophet was in circumstances that were just beyond his own power to handle and again and again god proves that he's greater than anything that elijah has to face Look at what God does with Elijah. God sends Elijah to, to dwell beside an isolated stream in the wilderness. And at that stream, God feeds Elijah every morning, every night by ravens. That's a bit unusual, isn't it? Them coming and bringing food to him. Well, Elijah's living beside this little stream. The stream runs dry because of the lack of rain. Well, Elijah prayed that the rain would stop, so that was going to happen, wasn't it? So then God sends Elijah to a place called Zarephath, to the home of a widow and whilst he's there god sends him a miraculous supply of food and indeed whilst he's there the the widow's son dies and Eli god uses elijah to to raise him back to life so in all these things god's preparing preparing elijah but today i don't want to focus so much on elijah i want to focus on sort of the collateral damage <laughs> this woman this woman that met him because we, we get caught up in Elijah and all the excitement of that story. But there's an incredible story about the widow of Zarephath and, and her little jar of, of empty jar that she has to serve him from. And I want to focus in on that particular hopeless case today. So let's have a look at it. I hope you've got your Bible open at, at James. At, sorry, at, at, uh, I was thinking James because Elijah's in James as well. You know, he's, he says Elijah is a man just like us and he prays and it doesn't rain. That's why it's so fascinating to study Elijah. But Kings... 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verses 7 onwards. We're going to have a look at that today. I want you to look at the, the, notice the hopeless predicament of this woman, this widow in Zarephath. First of all, she's a widow. Secondly, she lives in Zarephath. So there's two truths that are revealed to us about this particular woman. A widow. A widow has a very difficult place in society in those days because she's largely dependent on men to take care of her. They the men provide the food and the shelter and the protection. And we find in verse 12 that she also has a son. So not only is she a woman who's on her own, she's got to look for after someone else, a young child. Now, in the land of Israel, that would have been bad enough. But she's in a place called Zarephath, where it's going to be tragic for her. Because in Israel, God had commanded the people to look after the poor. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. So in Israel, she could have been looked after. She wasn't living in Israel. She's in a little town called Zarephath, where they have no connection with the law of God. This is a Gentile place. And in most Gentile places, the poor suffered. They're on their own. So this woman is in a bad place. And she has some problems in her life too because in the, the depth of her poverty is revealed in verse 12. Elijah asks for a piece of bread and she replies, look, I've, all I've got is a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. And right now I'm just gathering sticks to make a little fire to cook my bread. This is my last meal. A hopeless situation. You can hear the desperation in her voice. So what's her plan? Well, her plan in her life, her plan's very simple. 
She's going to make a meal for herself and her son. She's going to eat it, and then she's going to die, presumably of starvation. That's not much of a plan, is it? This is a hopeless situation, wouldn't you say? This woman is without hope. She sees no way out of this situation. It's a hopeless case. I think this is about as bad as it gets, isn't it? I doubt that many of us have faced this particular situation, but we might have faced some difficult situations in our own lives, you know, sickness in your body, your body begins to deteriorate, a marriage that gets fractured, a financial crisis, death of a loved one. We were talking about that this morning with our, with our, with our Pommy sister, you know, the things that have been going on for her. Depression. All these things get, get hopeless. There are many cases in the Bible where, where people feel hopeless. I mean, Moses, when he fled, fled from Pharaoh after killing an Egyptian, he would have felt pretty hopeless. Elijah, when he's running away later on from, from Jezebel. Jonah, when he finds himself in the belly of a whale. That's pretty horrible, isn't it? The disciples, when they were sink, sinking in that boat, we talked about that last week. Jacob, when he's told his father Joseph is dead, he feels bad. David, when, he, when the enemies rise up against him. There are so many more that we can, we can name in the Bible. But there, there are times, brothers and sisters, when we are afraid. There are times when circumstances around about us just appear to be hopeless. What are we going to do? Despair grips us. Despair is recorded in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're studying that in the men's Bible study at the moment. I like the way Solomon puts things. Listen to this. Now Solomon, right, he's a king. He's wise. He's wealthy. And then he looks and he says this. He says, I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. Even the rich man who's got everything says it's just a hopeless case. It doesn't matter what your circumstances. You can be in a hopeless situation. So this poor woman, this, this widow in Zarephath, she has a hopeless predicament but in spite of her condition in spite of all that god works in this poor widow to bring her to a place of absolute faith in him and in his power but notice the unusual relationship verse 9 tells us that she was a woman a widow in zarephath zarephath is the hometown of queen jezebel it's a gentile town it's filled with worshipers of the fertility god baal She's a very unlikely candidate to be chosen for the work of God, wouldn't you think? I mean, if we, we talked about someone in Israel, we say, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But this is a Gentile woman. She's outside of everything. And God chose to send his prophet to a pagan town in the home of a Gentile widow. And this woman couldn't even care for herself or her son. What a hopeless person to go to for some help. And of course, Elijah, when he comes there, he's a wanted man. Ahab's looking for him because Ahab wants to kill him. So God sends Elijah to one place. No one's going to think of looking for him. And this poor Gentile widow, she's trapped. She's trapped in sin. She's got no hope of salvation. You know, her, her people are worshipping the wrong God. But God, our God, the one true God, in all of his grace, he speaks to her heart. He reveals himself to her and he uses her to take care of his prophet. And many years later, the Lord Jesus would refer to this woman as a great example of faith in God. He talks about her in Luke chapter 4. No Jew in Israel would have given this woman the time of day, but God loved her to the extent that he was going to extend to her his saving grace. This is a very unusual relationship. 
God takes what no one else wants and he makes something glorious out of it. Isn't that what he's done for our lives? That's what he did for my life when he transformed me. When he told me I was one of his children, invited me to become his son, he transformed me. Praise God. He does that for each one of us. So it's an unusual relationship between this woman and God. But look at the request. When the brook dries up, Elijah leaves the wilderness. He travels to Zarephath and he travels under the promise that God's already gone ahead of him because God says to Elijah, look, I've commanded a widow, this widow woman there to sustain you. Elijah arrives in Zarephath. He finds a widow gathering sticks. He speaks to the widow, asks for a drink of water. She brings the drink of water. He calls to her and says, now bring me a piece of bread. Now it's starting to get difficult. The water was there. And she tells him this tale of woe. She tells him of her poverty and her plans to cook the little food she has. She tells him of her plans to share one final meal with her son and then she's just going to lie down and wait to die. Elijah hears all of this and he tells her, yeah, you go ahead and do that. But first, make a small cake of bread for me and then make something for yourself and your son. Where's the heart of compassion here, eh? It's just, uh, yeah, that last bit, yeah, you just give it to me. It's all good. And he prefaces his request. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's able to tell her that God's going to honor her sacrifice by providing for her, for her son, and for Elijah in a miraculous way. See, God had already been there, and he told the widow that the man of God was coming. He'd already told her that she was to feed the prophet when he came. She didn't know how she's going to do that, and she's terrified. You can hear that in her voice as she speaks to Elijah. Look, I'm going to do this, but this is all I've got. I expect to die after this. Marvellous. This woman is incredible. Now, Elijah just has the promise of God. He doesn't know how God's going to do this. He's just got God's promises. That's it. And he rests on that. But Elijah knew God can be trusted. God's proven himself faithful already to Elijah in the past. And he says, well, I'm going to trust God again. And this widow, she doesn't know all of these things. She doesn't have Elijah's experience. All she knew was that the God she knew very little about is telling her to give her tiny little bit of food away to a man she knows nothing about. This is incredible faith that's coming here. Elijah, he's untroubled about his request because he has faith in God. But the widow, she faces this command with great fear. And in verse 15, we read it. What happens? Let me read it for you. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. That's incredible. She does what she's commanded to do. She went to the place where she cooked her bread. She took her little bundle of sticks, a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, she prepares a meal for the prophet of God and she presents it to him. What faith! I wonder if she was filled with fear as she sees Elijah eat this last bit of bread. This is it, this little flat cake that she would have made. That would be the end of the story as far as she's concerned. And she's thinking to herself, well, that's it. No last meal. I'm just going to go and die. Regardless of her fears and her doubts, she, she accepts, though, the, the promise of God. She obeys his command. 
And that faith of this widow, I think, is in the, in the category of mountain-moving faith that Jesus talks about. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This woman, with all of her fear, all of her doubt, said, well, this God said it. This prophet asked for it. I've just got to do it. Not a lot of faith behind it, but there was obedience, wasn't there? Now, I don't know what impossible situation you're facing today. I don't know what you're going to be called to face before you leave the world. But I do know that God can be trusted regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what comes our way. If, like this widow, we are in some sort of relationship with God, we have his promise that he's going to take care of us. Isn't that true? God will take care of us. He'll walk with us every step of the way. He'll give us everything we need in this life. He'll see us safely through all the dangers we're going to face until it's time to go home to heaven. He'll use every pain, every problem, every pit that we fall in to develop us and make us more like Jesus. We have all these promises in the scripture that we can rest on. Our duty is not to try and, and solve every puzzle in life. Our duty is not to, to plan our path so that life runs smooth. Our duty is simply to trust the Lord that he will keep his promises to his people. If we can do that, we can face hopeless situations with hope, knowing that our God will provide, that he does reign, and that all will be well in the end. So the widow, she obeys God. She God, God honors his promise. God told Elijah they would be fed, and they were. And God was as good, good as his word in this situation. He's going to be good in his word with us too. I want you to understand that. Now, I don't know exactly how God did this. But after she prepared a meal for Elijah, she goes back to that jar and there's more flour in the jar. She goes back to the jug of oil and there's more oil in that little jug. When I, I, I try and meditate on scriptures and I'm just seeing the face and I'm seeing her hand reach out for the for these two items in, in, in a little kitchen, expecting there to be nothing, and yet there's something in there. Aren't you just gobsmacked? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just amazed as I, as I see the picture in my mind's eye. And for the next three years, every time she uses all the flour and all the oil, next time there's plenty more. This is a great miracle. I don't know how God did this, but he did it. She takes them out, he'd put some more in. They never missed a meal. Others around them were starving to death because of the famine, but they had food to eat until the rains came. God took care of them in a hopeless situation. Let me share a couple of quick thoughts with you before I finish today. First of all, serving God from an empty jar does more to fill my jar than me trying to fill the jar myself. Yeah? In other words, if I'll forget about what I think I need, and leave my care in his capable hands, God will take care of me. If I spend my time trying to solve my problems, I don't know about you, but I usually make my problems worse. <laughs> yeah? My duty is to faithfully serve God and to rest in the assurance that he'll do what is right all the time. The second point is that my sticks and my flour and my oil 
Well, let's face it, what did she have? She had very little. She could accomplish very little. That's true, isn't it? But God can do wonders with what I leave in his care. Isn't that true? This widow, she plans to use those sticks to cook a final meal for her family. She's planning to die. Instead, she uses those little, little bunch of sticks and the flour and the oil to feed God's prophet. She took those sticks, she placed them in the hands of God. He didn't simply supply one meal, he supplied thousands of meals. Three people eating three meals a day for three years is over 3,200 meals from one little jar of flour and one little jug of oil. This is a miraculous multiplication, isn't it? So here's the point. A few sticks in a widow's hand will accomplish very little. I mean, what kind of fire could she have built with a few little sticks? But when she placed those sticks in the hands of God, her world changed. There was continuous supply. What can God do with two sticks? Make a cross. Jesus died on one of those. We remember that, don't we? Two sticks. And he solved the problem of the world. The problem of our alienation from him. The problem of our sin. That's all that God needs. That's amazing. What we have to do is, is to let go of our sticks and our flour and our, our oil like this widow. We need to put them in the hand of God. And if we learn to do that, I believe we'll see things that we can hardly believe. Let's face it. Yeah? Remember David? He came against Goliath with what? A shepherd's sling and a stone. That's all he had. And yet he defeated a giant. Moses had a shepherd's staff, but in the hand of God, he parted the sea. A little boy with his lunch, five loaves and two fish. God uses it to feed a multitude. All the widow had was a few sticks, but in the hands of God, she fed a family. God doesn't need a lot to work with, does he? That's incredible. In creation, God took nothing and made everything. All he's looking for from us is our faith to put our little resource in his hands. And when we do that, everything changes. Let me tell you a story. This is, this is a true story. There's a man by the name of, of Chaplain Robinson who shares this, this story about his grandmother. And this took place in 1949. His father had just returned home from World War II. And on, on, every, on every American highway, you could see soldiers in uniform. They're hitchhiking home to their families. And the thrill of this reunion with the family was, was overshadowed by the illness of, of Robinson's, Robinson's grandmother. And the problem was her kidneys. The doctors had told Robinson's father that she needed a blood transfusion immediately or she wouldn't live through the night. Now, the problem was that Robinson's grandmother had blood type AB negative, which is a very rare blood type, even today. And in those days, well, none of her family members had matching blood, and in those days you couldn't you know, fly in blood with a helicopter or anything like that. That just didn't happen in those days. So the family was going to say goodbye to Grandma. Robinson's father was driving down the highway and he passed a soldier hitchhiking home to his own family. And deep in grief, the father has no inclination to do anything good at that time, but he feels that he should stop and pick up this soldier. So he does so. He doesn't even ask the bloke his name. The soldier gets in the car, 
And the soldier looks at him and says, why are you crying? What's the matter? And through his tears, Robinson's father tells this stranger about his dying mother in the hospital because they couldn't give her a transfusion of the AB negative blood type. She's going to be dead by morning. It gets very quiet in the car. This unidentified soldier extends his hand out to Robinson's father with the palm of his hand upwards and his dog tags are in that palm of his hand. Engraved on the dog tags was his blood type, AB negative. The soldier tells Robinson's father, turn the car around, go to the hospital, use my blood. Robinson's grandmother is saved. She lives another 47 years after this. He must have had some good blood, this bloke. <laughs> and to this day, nobody knows the soldier's name. I'm not sure whether he's a soldier or an angel in disguise. The own uniform. We never know, brothers and sisters, how God's going to keep his promises. But God will keep his promises. We never know how he's going to manifest his power, but he will manifest his power. Are you prepared to come to God with your impossible situation, with your lost family member, with whatever sickness you're facing, whatever the need is, the sin in your life, your own lost soul? Are you prepared to give it to him and watch what he can do with your very small resource? He can change your world. He is God Almighty, whom we serve. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so much like this widow of Zarephath. We don't have anything much at all, a few sticks, a little jar of flour and a little jug of oil. It doesn't amount to much in our hands, Lord. But with all our difficulties, all our problems, all our situations that we face, we place them into your hands, Father. And we ask that you will manifest yourself in a miraculous way, that you will solve our hopeless cases. And regardless of the outcome, Lord, may we just continue to get our eyes off our circumstances and fix our eyes firmly upon Jesus so that you can do what you need to do and so that you, Father God, would receive the glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray today.